This is the 2D10 Podcast. You better listen. All right, it's recording. All right. Hey, Chance, how are you today? I am great. How about you, Nate? I'm good. Hello. So this is like the very first time we've ever done this kind of podcast um, with you, Chance, like remotely. Yeah, usually I'm there with you. Yeah. So I, I remember I was like, hey, when you want to do this podcast, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, I'll zoom over on Monday. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I put it, I killed this party. Yeah. I was like, I was like, uh, hey, Rachel, uh, what do you think about uh, um, Chance coming over on Monday? And she was like, when do you want to see your mother? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good <laughs> And I was like, uh, yeah, there's got to be a way around this. So. Well, you got to give more context. You got to explain why, why, oh. why does it matter? Well, because there's like a plague. My mom is ill. And yeah. She's, she's a, uh, I don't know, what would you call it? Like, um, very likely to die from COVID? I would say it's a certainty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she gets it. Um, we, well, we don't want that to happen. No, no, no. <laughs> well, it's like we just finished moving. Like last week, we just finished moving. In fact, today we just had our bed delivered. So um, on Friday, we had the fun adventure of going to the DMV, which I won't tell the tale unless Nate wants to get into no, it. But no, really. <laughs> it was like probably like the most people we'd been around since all of this started at one point. And so we're like, okay, well, after we're done being around lots of people, even though like everybody's wearing a mask now, uh, we're going to just, we're going to quarantine for 14 days before we go see your mom so that, you know, like or we can be at least you know close to certain that we don't have anything we're going to yeah. give to her. <laughs> and then it keeps like, it keeps getting pushed back. The date keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Cause we have stuff we have to do. And then he's like, Hey, is it cool if chance comes over on Monday? And I, and I was just so sassy. I was like, well, <sighs> when do you want to even see your mom? <laughs> and he's like, that's not how you answer that question. And I was like, I'm sorry, but like, are like we moved here. When are we going to see her? Like, so anyway, yeah, I think we're, we're almost like, um, just under a month now that we've been here. Right. Like uh, I mean, technically. Yeah. But I think it's been like two and a half weeks since yeah. we started living in the apartment full time. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, yeah, but we're excited to be back, and we're so excited to hang out with all of our friends and family who live in this area. Uh, and most importantly, play some games. Play some right. games. Yeah. yeah, right. So um, I didn't know, but um, I guess I probably could have used my brain and thought about it a bunch. But, um, you know, we, we had been talking about uh, um, MechWarrior and how... Um, you know, one of, uh, one of our listeners had sent us a box so that we could learn it. And then you were like, I didn't know you were interested in playing mech warrior. Right. Right. And I was like, well, why, why do you, why do you say that? And, uh, then you told me why. Right. Cause I have lots of stuff. So tell, tell us about what you have. Cause obviously at some point we're going to have to play with you. Right. Well, I have like 300 plus minis. So the mechs, uh, probably a hundred or so vehicles. Um, and then at least three tables worth of 3d terrain that I've created from scratch. Now I'm a little, I'm a little interested and confused, I guess at the same time, because I, I know that mech warrior is a mini game, but also like it's a RPG. Like how does that factor in? Like what is the, what's the RPG versus the rolling Dyson? moving your mini aspect? Um, well, there's basically the, they made the role-playing game 
so that in case you ever wanted to play your mech warrior outside mm-hmm. of the mech. So uh, in that, you don't always have to be in the mech. You can do things that involve the intrigue in the world. Um, as far as the lore, um, probably not the best person to go to. I know a lot about it, but there are other of our friends that know a lot more about the lore than I do. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like um, Space War of the Roses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so basically, uh, so part of some families succeed, uh, seceded from um, the galaxy and left on their own thing, and then there was a you know hundreds of years of war, uh, pretty much losing all technology, and then they then the guys that left come back, and those are the clan, uh, the clans, and they then they fight the inner sphere, which is the area around the core of the galaxy, which is you know, basically Earth and all that, or in the galaxy, at least it is. So um, so there's a big uh, war between all these um, uh, factions, and then the clan comes in and tries to get their foothold back into the world, and they have better technology than the inner sphere because of the hundreds of years of war and, and loss of technology. Kind of like 40K, I guess. So what's the difference between Mech Warrior and Battletech. Well, Battletech is the minis. So, you know, minis on the board, um, normally played with uh, like a hex, like a hex based system with. Yeah, instead of like a circle or a square. Right. And normally there's, it's not 3D, but I, you know, I can't do that. So, um, so you'd play on just a mat that you'd open up and all the mats have numbers on each hex, so if you ever have to quit the game for any reason and you want to pack it up, you could record where the mech was and what had happened. Uh, so that's at least nice. Um, but as far as the mech warrior part goes, that, like I said, is a different game entirely uh, in the same universe. Um, so you have your guy, and then that guy has stats, but those stats don't directly correlate with the stats that you would use, say, playing the mini game. Okay. All right. So yeah, like I'm a complete novice to all of this. Like obviously I know what a role playing game is and I understand what figures are that move on the board. And I know the, the starter kit that the listener sent Nate was battle tech. So there's just a lot of, a lot of like new terms and vocabulary being thrown around. So yeah, it's different. In fact, I may have confused them um, because I was, I, I may have been calling it like Mac warrior or battle tech. Cause like there's video games and stuff for that, like exist in these worlds too. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. There's two on steam. You can get, um, there's like a first person shooter one. Um, and then there is the tactical version where you'll move like up to four mechs and you'll move them throughout a scenario, um, against vehicles and other mechs. And uh, you can actually play a campaign with that, and you get a jump ship, which a jump ship is a ship that takes mechs from system to system. Well, in the easiest of senses, you don't actually get a full jump ship. But, um, and in that, you can like take um, mercenary contracts, or you can work for, uh, you can align yourself with a, a certain faction, and then that faction starts to like you more, thus destroying your credibility with other factions. Um, so it, it's kind of cool because if you want to try to maintain neutrality, then it's, it, it is, it does get difficult in the end, in the end game. Um, obviously because some factions hate each other. 
So there is an end to this game because let me tell you what my uh, experience is with it. This is my only experience. Usually it's at a convention and I'm walking into a room to play a different game (laughs) and some nerd is in the corner freaking out going, don't touch this table. Whatever you do, don't touch this table. Hey, everybody who's coming in here right now, this table is off limits. Do not touch this table. And then you'll see that same savage, frightened squirrel of a nerd like yelling at people throughout the rest of the convention to not touch the table. And it it just makes me wonder, like, do these games ever end? And when can you clean off the table? <laughs> um, well, this one in particular ends when my wife says it's dinner time. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, usually it takes, uh, I would say, if you've got inexperience to novice players, it would it's probably going to take a very long time. Okay. Uh, if you have... Let's say there's one-on-one, right? So I have four max and the, and the guy that I'm playing against has four max. So we're both using four max only. And we're not even using like weird stuff or wonky home-brewed stuff. We're just using the baseline. Uh, it could take anywhere from uh, anywhere from four to eight hours. God, okay. Uh, but, <laughs> but somebody that knows what they're doing um, or, or you lessen the mech, um, on the max on both sides, uh, you could probably get done with a game in like two hours. Okay. All right. So obviously, Chance, you've been playing this type of mini for a while based on yes. how much equipment you have. Nate, right. why have you never gotten into it um, or something like similar? I, I guess I uh, it never really had been presented to me as like something, um, you know, to play. Uh, I think for most people that are familiar with like mini miniature games probably warhammer 40k mm-hmm. is like the big one people talk about and that's probably the more popular one i don't know if that's true but it seems to be to me that that's the case and so um warhammer was just always very overwhelming to me there's like it's like super expensive um and there's a lot of stuff to buy for it and um i don't know you know mech warrior battletech might be consistent in that regard um but i don't i don't think it is um but it just never really like hit my radar Mm. um in the sense that it it was never something i was like i'm gonna run out and buy this like i actually i've played it once i played it when i was in high school one time Mm -hmm. and a friend of mine brought it over to my house and he had a bunch of minis and laid out a map and we played and we played for like an hour and I lost and I was like, okay, that was fun. And you know, that was like the last time I ever played it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't really know. I never knew anything about it. Um, I had played, um, in the, I don't know if it's the same thing, but I played in like pods, um, like actual like computer pods. Right. Um, and they used to, I think they used to have a bunch of them at like Navy pier back in the day. Mm. but i don't know if those exist in the same world i don't know what happened to those but basically that was just like a more complex video game that i still had no idea what i was doing and always lost so okay yeah (laughs) and i didn't know like i didn't know the game took place like super far into the future yeah and there's like a component where there's like technology that 
has been lost and like people like rediscover. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So are you playing like these questions probably seem really ignorant, but like when you're playing, are you playing like as a individual vehicle or are you playing like as a fleet of vehicles? I'm just trying to like build a framework to understand what the game is because full disclosure, I've not read any of the starter box. That's all right. When you have multiple ways to play. So if you were playing the Mech Warrior game, which um, the current version is called A Time of War, uh, mm-hmm. and then the Battletech version of that, the rule set for that, uh, could be broken up into a uh, easier version, uh, which that name escapes me. But the more complex version is called Total War. Uh, they both have worn the name because that's the world that you live in in that game. Yeah. Um, so if you're playing Mech Warrior, and it's the role-playing game, and you just happen to have to be in your mech for that camp for that you know Saturday or whatever, right? Because uh, that's what is deemed necessary. Then you would use uh, more than likely one mini, and you would control that because it would be just like you're playing a, ro- a regular role-playing game. You're moving your mini on the board wherever you want it to go, and hopefully you don't get headshotted because if you do, there's a possibility that your um, your pilot could instantly die. But um, but if you're playing the, the battle tech game, that's when you usually play in anywhere from one to four mechs on your side. It's more of a board game at that point than a role-playing game. Gotcha. Okay. So, so basically, to summarize, it is essentially there are two different versions of the game. One yes. is like, you know, the more traditional tabletop role-playing game where you're kind of playing a character in the world. And and you have a mech, so the combat portion is sort of, you know, it, it, it is adjacent. You know, it's like D and D. You have a warrior. Occasionally, you have to hit shit. Okay. Right. Um, but then there's also like the less role play, more straight combat oriented. Yeah. Yeah. Like like it's just, you know you're not really role playing at all. It's more like skirmishes. If yeah. if I understand correctly. Do you no, prefer? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's correct. Yeah, that's it. Do you prefer one of those over the other, or uh, I'd no. say I prefer a Time of War, the Mech Warrior game, uh, because okay. within it you can get to the others when necessary. You're not bogged down by always doing BattleTech. Okay. So cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing your massive collection and <laughs> <laughs> like I, th- I think we, I think I probably have because it's all in yeah. your basement, right? I think I've yep. seen it, but I don't think I had enough like. I don't think I appreciated what it was. I was like, oh, that's a lot of tables and nerd shit. Yeah, I didn't, like, I didn't I really, I didn't really like, <laughs> I was just like, oh, it's Chance and he's got minis and like all kinds of cool stuff. But like, as long as I've known you, <laughs> you've, had, yeah. you've had like minis and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and I just assumed like, oh, that's just like a different Warhammer. Because <laughs> right. um, right. you, you had a bunch of those too, didn't you? I played Warhammer for quite some time and I just didn't have enough time to play it and it was it's in a really expensive game warhammer is it's like the apple of <laughs> mini games you know mm, right. yeah it's the most well known it's not the most played um you know world war ii napoleonic type games those i think are the still the most played uh as, t- as far as like miniature war games are but it's the most well known so correct me if i'm wrong but isn't that how gen con started was those mini war games like um, before, or was it all D and D all the time? I forget. 
feel I like it was done, but I know D&D started from people playing, you know, Gygax and the mm, other guy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so if I if I remember correctly, that is accurate. Like it was General's Convention. It was, um, it was like a miniature war game, and I, I think like what Chance was saying, like role playing games sort of emerged from those war games because like it's not a big leap like instead of playing the whole army what if i just play one hero in that army Mm. right there you go you know and it starts to make sense and and like if you look at dungeons and dragons like i know you and i we've played together i played with chance a bunch but like it really is at at its core it's just like it's strategy like obviously for some of us the role-playing aspect is more important but when you're talking about like rolling dice and numbers you're really just talking about like strategy and movement yeah it's funny too because i started playing role-playing games i started with like vampire and world of darkness stuff and i like the role-playing in that i don't like the role-play in D. i like the fighting and the crunchiness of it and i like the you know the battle part of it so um but I don't like that part in Vampire as much. <laughs> uh, uh, and I, it, so, so I don't know. This will be interesting to play like a brand new game. Yeah. I will admit I'm, I'm kind of on your side on that one, Rachel. I do remember a game that we played where I, as a paladin, wanted to kill goblins. But those goblins <laughs> couldn't die because they had nuance. And <laughs> <laughs> No, like uh, I think, you know, the D&D game that Nate and I played with a group of friends before we moved and – to be determined whether or not that game is going to continue online. Um, you know, I, I, I hated discussing with the other players, like, what are we going to do? And like, you know, tra la 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 la. And you know, what, what have you? But I'm like, as soon as we got into a fight, I was like, yeah, let me roll some dice. Let me breathe some ice fire. Let me shoot my bow. Let me like do some math. Like I was into that, but then it's weird because on the other side, if we're playing vampire, I like, you know, want to get into the the scene of it all. And like, you know, when I got to bust out like presents or, you know, like dementation or something, when I got to actually throw dice, it's like, oh, now it's work. Like, right. it's, so it's weird. Well, How- I, I, and I, I think that those, those games are kind of tailored um, very specifically for two different types of gameplay. Mm. Um, like in, in a in and d scenario, you know, I, I, I won't, I won't belittle the desire to smash something with an ax. Like that's, that's a lot of fun. I think like if you're playing D and D and you're looking for just like that role play style of game, like something like game of Thrones, like Mm -hmm. would lend more to it. And if your game master, your DM is running that kind of game, that's cool. But I think that that can defy the expectations of a lot of people who are like, I am the warrior. That is my purpose in, in the group. I am, you know, or I am the barbarian, you know, like, I think that that identity is more tailored for D and D. And if you, you know, go off into the, the nuances, like chance said, that can kind of be like a bit jarring, Mm. you know, from a gameplay perspective. Yeah, I would agree. I think too. And I'd, I'd like to hear you guys' opinion on this. I think that there is a stigma, uh, with vampire in that, like if you are the type of person who really, really likes to roll dice and use powers and fight, and that's like kind of your favorite thing about the game, I think those people get belittled a little bit and shamed. And I think that's where you get your power gamer like 
you know, like label that gets slapped on people, which I don't think that that's true for everyone. I think some people just do enjoy the combat of it. Mm -hmm. But I think over time, it seems like maybe those people have been weeded out and like shamed, like, oh, you're a power gamer. Like, oh, you want to get into like, you know, the the nuance, the mystery of it. You don't want to like tell a story. You just want to like fight and be some kind of superhero with fangs. And I'm like, well, that's not, I don't think that's a wrong way to play. Right. I think you just got to get the right group of people. So, yeah. I, I think that uh, on both sides of that debate, there are probably like the, I guess you'd call them gatekeeper. Mentalities. Oh, yeah. That's, like, yeah. Um, I think that like, especially in a LARP and I don't know if you've experienced the same thing, but I feel like in a LARP context, it is often more about like how you can capitalize on your powers and sort of like exert, you know, your, your combat prowess against other players. And I think a lot of people will deny that that's the truth, but I think really it is like in a LARP setting you have. I think two very distinct groups of people. You have people who are super geared towards power and towards like being able to beat people. And then people who are there to sort of act and almost don't know anything about the powers. And then I think in a tabletop setting, it's like, if you're there to just power game, like you could just leave. Like I think LARP and tabletop are very different in that regard. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't have enough experience to say one way or the other. But I would say that it's up to the storyteller or GM, depending on the game you're playing, uh, mm-hmm. to um, nurture those those players. Even no matter what side they're on, right? So mm-hmm. um, to to be better people in the game. So if they're looking for the power and they they want to. Um, let loose because they've worked 60 hours that week and Saturday's their only free, you know, day off and right. they just want to kill some shit, you know, you should probably know your players. So uh, obviously that's harder in a, in a LARP because you might have 30 plus people. Yeah. Um, but definitely in a um, more intimate uh, tabletop setting, you should know your players well enough to say, Hey, this person likes to kill stuff. So at least at some point during the night, we should have some sort of encounter. And this, these two like a lot of exposition and role play. So they should, you know, we've got to have that as well. So I think right. you just know your players. So hey, let me ask you this. Um, Cause I know you're, you're running like a Victorian age vampire game right now. Um, how, like, how do you present your game um, in the context of like, your experience as a as a gm or as a storyteller because like from what i know of you you know you are kind of like more of a um, i don't know like a a jack of all trades like you have a certain way of doing things so i've never played in a vampire game i don't think i've ever played in one that you were running so how do you present like your world and do you do it differently than you would like a D or a shadow run well, I set up every game I run um, too much, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, I guess my internal motto is you can never run an NPC set up. Um, the worst thing I hate is not having like a name at least for an NPC. You're like, oh, you're talking to this innkeep. And then they're like, oh, what's your name? And then you're just like, I don't know, this guy doesn't mean anything. Let's move on. And then they're like, we want to know about him, right? So um, not that I get that 
invested in it, but I do create a lot of NPCs. So when you're creating those NPCs, stories start to form because obviously I can't just create an NPC. They have to have backstory. They have to have um, reasons on why they're doing what they're doing or who they know. And um, as far as as far as running the game, I kind of just let the the players have fun. It's more of a sandbox. Like that's how normally I run most of my games. I have a meta plot, and and I kind of guide you to <laughs> that to that end game, right? To the to the goal ultimately. Right. But um, I don't. I try not to dictate how you get there uh, because the story is a combined effort. We are all telling the story here. It's not right. just me, right? So for me to just sit there, you know, I might as well write a novel then. Right, 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 right. right. Absolutely. I would agree with that. I, I, I saw your, your, your cutouts when we came and visited uh, a couple of weeks ago and I was like, Jesus, like you, you have more NPCs printed out on paper than like, any vampire book I had ever seen with NPCs in it. And I was just like, I don't even know. Like, like that's a level of preparedness that I can't even, I'm not on that level at all. <laughs> well, the specific thing about this is, um, and I'll give you a little backstory. And if you want more, we could talk more about it mm-hmm. um, on or off the podcast. Cause um, you know, you can you, say whatever you want on the podcast and if it's inappropriate, I'll just cut it. No, no, it wouldn't be inappropriate. Um, But basically the way that I decided to play it was I swore off vampire for a very long time. Mm -hmm. My last LARP, I don't know, it was probably six or six or so years ago Mm -hmm. and it was a big one. And after it was done, I was just like, you know what? I don't like half of these people. Um, I don't want to (laughs) do this. Um, And I found myself really just liking the more intimate, um, connections that I made with tabletop. Right. So not even thinking that I would run a vampire for, um, my group because my group is a large group on Saturday nights. It's like eight people. So I feel that vampires more, uh, it's better when it's, um, less people, mm-hmm. um, because you're, you can definitely get into the story of each individual character better. Um, if you have less people, I feel. Yeah. So, and and I think like the, the, the coterie concept really flourishes with five or less people. I I, I agree as a, as a player, I've never, I've never GM'd a vampire game before, but as a player, I feel like too, the like three to four is the sweet spot because then I don't think anyone has to feel insecure that they're stealing the show, you know? Like some people struggle with that. I know I struggle with that where I'm like, well, I don't want to like do too much or get too much into it because I don't want to like take away from the attention of the storyteller from these other three people. Cause you could, you could easily just have like a one person game where you have like a storyteller and one player. Like I feel like you could do that pretty effectively Mm -hmm. in vampire depending on the people. Um, so I I agree with you anyway, please continue your story. That's where I started. So, um, I actually played, uh, murdered a soul suspect. And then shortly thereafter, I played um, that vampire game on um, uh, Xbox. I don't remember what it's called. Maybe it's called Vampire. Yeah, Vampire with a Y. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's set in London, too. So I was like, you know, this this is a really cool setting. And obviously just playing Murdered Soul Suspect, if you're not familiar with that game, you play mm-hmm. uh, a detective who is murdered, uh, and then you become a wraith, and you're trying to solve the murder. So. Cool. 
with with those two um, set uh, in my mind, I was like, I can make a store like this. And then I'm like, who is going to be my guinea pig? <laughs> so uh, I designed the story really deep. And I figured out that my son had never played vampire. And, you know, he's he was, I think, almost 18 or 18 when we started. But um, I think he was mature enough at that point to play. And I said, you know what? I'm not even going to tell him we're playing vampire. So I pretty much took all the rules out of the book, the core rule book, and wrote them over again mm-hmm. uh, and changed a couple things to my liking as home homebrew rules, but nothing entirely that would be game-breaking. You can still pick up the main book and play the game with no problem. Um, so basically he made his character not knowing the system, not knowing anything about the world he was in. I just told him that it's you know Victorian age London. The world's very dark. Um, it's a gothic theme. You you know, there's murders all over the place. You know, blah blah blah. Right, Jack the Ripper type right, scenario. Right, right, exactly. So he's like, well, I, I you know, I'm like, what do you want to play? And he's like, well, this actually just worked out this way. He wanted to play a private eye. So I was like, all right, fine, I can work with that. So for about ten, ten stories, which some of them lasted more than one session, but for 10, 10 individual stories, it was only one-on-one, me and him. He had no clue what was going on. Hmm. Oh, so, that's really cute. I just like the idea of like a father and son like just sitting down together and just playing games. That's cute. Anyway, continue. Uh, well, thank you. Um, so uh, he's slowly starting to be introduced into this world. Um, uh, so let me break here, and I'll go into my thought process on the world. So I have run every type of white wolf game you can play except for Fae. Okay. Um, so I felt that I wanted to include the entirety of the world of darkness. Uh, however, I felt that mages are way too powerful unless they're a solo game. So I took those and fairies out because again, I don't know the, the Fae world. So they were X'd and mages were X'd. So pretty much there is Wraith in the game, obviously, because Ghosts. Um, <laughs> ghosts. And he, one of his unknown powers to him is he has um, uh, a merit. It's a five point merit where you can see the dead. Um, it's not medium, it's above medium. So he can see and interact with the dead, uh, a la the sixth sense. Um, so, so there's ghosts, wraiths, vampires, he didn't know about, werewolves, he didn't know about, and then four of the mages and slash hunters. It would have just been regular old um, Numina wielding sorcerers. Okay. What's Numina? Uh, so Numina is like magic that mages have, but like turned way down in volume. It's basically like disciplines for humans. It's like wild talent, you know, manifestations. Sometimes it's like true faith or something like that. It's basically just less powerful magic. Magic gotcha. for, for humans. Okay. Continue. Yeah. Right. So with all that in the world, I set off starting to create characters and making you know entire um, mm-hmm. alliances between legions. Uh, those are basically the equivalent of the Sabbat and the uh, Camarilla for Wraith. So there's a ton of, there's like six different, seven different legions. Uh, okay. So I had to create NPCs for each one of those uh, and how they interacted. So, um, so he starts playing to get back to where we're at now. Um, so he starts playing and he starts realizing that he can start 
seeing weird things. Like there is another layer beyond what he's seeing. And, and that goes on for, like I said, about 10 sessions where he's building his background, right? So he obviously had some questions that I had him answer. Um, you know, who were his parents? What, what did he do in uh, primary school? Stuff like that, right? Obviously, right. in Victorian age, there's no higher college. It's just primary school and a little bit of um, upper education. So, um, so he gave me a rough outline of, of his early years. And then instead of him writing a background, he actually played his background. Okay. So those 10 sessions are, are his background. So I knew I needed more than just him ultimately. So that's when I invited Adam. Adam's right. our friend. Uh, we all, all, all three of us know Adam here. So um, <laughs> anyway, so I invited Adam and he was all jazzed for it. So I told him, I, I said, hey, I'd like you to play an elder. Um, but it needs to be a Giovanni. Okay. <laughs> right. Because of the spirit thing. So that's right. the story you're telling. Right. 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 Because, you know, he's, he likes to play Bruja and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. However, he's going to be missing out on 50% of the, the story if he can't interact with that. Right. So is there any other clan that would, that could do it without like, I guess, Samedi, but. Nagaraja, certain, um, certain but Giovanni would be one of the major ones without having to get too deep into like the side right. clans. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, so basically, I did the exact same with him. Um, he started in the 1600s, 1665 to be exact, um, and we played on Sundays. Me and me and my son played whenever we could, but right. me and Adam played. Sunday during the mornings and we wouldn't let Colin downstairs while we were playing. He, he could just, he just was not allowed downstairs because I didn't want him to see anything. I didn't want him to see the core book or anything. Um, so in that he also played his background, why he's no longer in Italy and why he is now in London, right? What is right. he doing, especially during the plague of 1666 pretty much because he started in 65. He had to travel. Um, so he kind of started learning about him and his, and his cohorts and the people, his ghouls that were, you know, bringing him up, uh, through the Alps and through France. Uh, so he, he had to learn all that. And then eventually he got to London and started meeting the, the Camarilla and, right. um, and whatnot. So he, he met most of the major players, even when they weren't anybody like when Lady Anne, was just a ghoul, right? So, so, so I, real quick, out of curiosity, did you have him? Did you did you run with him while your son was like at the table as well, or did you run them through separately through two different scenarios? Like, were they not privy to each other's games? Correct. Uh, preludes, for lack of a better term. Correct. They were not. They were not privy to each other's at all. Oh, that's <laughs> so basically did you like do them on different days or like, how yeah. did you, yeah, okay. like I said, like I said, me and my son, we played every time we had an opportunity to, which could oh. be two times a week, which could be once every two weeks. It all depended on how our schedules matched up. Um, and I think all in all this, this type of style of only making or only playing the background until they meet, um, lasted for like three or four months. 
That's really cool. Yeah. That takes a lot of, I mean, you have to have like a pretty tight knit group. Obviously Adam lives too, you know, Adam doesn't live too far away. He's a good friend. You've been playing for a long time. Your son lives in the same house with you most of the time. So, but that's, I actually really like that rather than like a player building like kind of a half-assed background just so that they can hurry up and get started with session one and then like never really thinking about how it would affect their behavior. Mm -hmm. But if you have played several sessions of just this background, even if like, like if you're a vampire, like playing from when you became embraced, I think that'd be really cool. Well, get ready because take me up on my invite. That's going to happen. I'm so ready. I'm like on the uh, edge of my seat. Um, so, so uh, to speed up the story, um, my son does get embraced. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm sure your, your, your fans and followers know vampire, most of them. Um, so he gets shovel headed and doesn't come out right away. Okay. All right. So they leave him for dead because they didn't think that he made it. Uh, and hunters were hunting the Sabbat, so obviously they had to leave, right? They were just like, all right, well, we got some that came up and the rest didn't. Let's go. Well, he comes up after that with nobody around and nobody to guide him. So he, while he's under, he had nightmares, something he took himself. I did not force him to take the, the, the flaw nightmare. Um, but in that, I gave him a nightmare that his sister uh, mm-hmm. was being uh, accosted. So he wakes up. One blood in the system doesn't really even know what's going on. Knows he's hungry, but doesn't know what he's hungry for. So and at this point, does he know he's playing vampire yet? No, not yet. Oh, okay, <laughs> continue. So he rushes over to find out what's going on with his sister. And as he's going, um, you know, I, I explained to him slowly that you know he gets senses that he can see halfway down the street. You know, nothing out of the ordinary yet, right? But he can see further than he normally yet does. Right. Um, when he gets to his sister's house, he can smell blood on the concrete and he's just like, this is, must've been where it happens. He busts through the door and his sister wakes up with a fright, obviously Victorian age and somebody just busted through her door. Um, and she's like, what's, what's going on? What's the meaning of this? Why are you here? And he's like, oh, I had a, I had a nightmare that you were hurt and I found blood outside your door. And she's like, oh, I, I fell bringing groceries home earlier in the day. And, you know, uh, so that leads to them talking. And as they're talking, uh, his sister's veins start to pulsate uh, in front of him. And the the urge to feed gets stronger and stronger until finally his self-control wanes. And he pretty much blacks out because of the frenzy. And he wakes up from the blackout with enough blood in his system and his sister pretty much dead. Yeah. Bummer. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tragic tale as old as time. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, um, so with that, like I said, the hunters were, you know, fo- following the Sabbat and they were tracking him. So a- as as he's coming to, he hears uh, a conversation about the beast being inside uh, down the block but it sounded like it was coming right from, from outside the door. So he looks out the window and it, he sees them two blocks down, but he's hearing them clear as day, right? Cause right. he's got heightened senses. Um, so he's like, I don't know what to do. Right. So I'm just like, what would you do? And he's like, well, I'm going to flee. 
I'm going to go out the back door. So he starts to flee. And ultimately, uh, it brings him to where uh, Adam's character, or the, the other character, I don't know if I'm supposed to be saying names, but um, uh, his character ended his background. So I'll give you a little bit about his background. So he was sent to London during the 1666 plague to try to find out uh, a little more about death and how the plague affects the dying and whatnot. Because Giovanni studied death. So in that he's making some uh, some relationships and you know he's working with the um, uh, with the Camarilla for this. Right. And they, unbeknownst to him. There is a uh, Giovanni Ghoul who wants the embrace, but has not been given it yet. And it's really starting to wane on him and he's getting upset. So he kind of makes a deal. Now, all the players know this. So even if you start playing the game or you never start playing the game and they listen to this podcast, they've already, they already know all this. At this moment. So I'm not giving away any spoilers. So the, the, the Giovanni Ghoul that... Uh, is not getting the embrace, makes a deal with uh, some higher-ups, including Mithras, the, the prince of the city, to get rid of the uh, the Giovanni and the uh, Tremere, because uh, if you've ever read a, a book about Mithras, you know that he despises <laughs> the Tremere. Yes. Um, so, so basically, he sets in motion the, the fires that burn down London, and in that, he sets the uh, sheriff after uh, um, Adam's character. Adam and the other Giovanni had fled from the, uh, from the Giovanni estate that they were staying at, but the sheriff still finds him. There's, right. there's a huge fight that ensues, and the, the Giovanni and the uh, sheriff fall into the basement um, because of the way the houses were made back then. Um, and everything falls on top of them from the house. So the, the he's stuck under rubble. He can't get out. Uh, he didn't make a combat character, so he didn't have much potence. Uh, and the sheriff had a lot of potence, but as far as story goes, I just said that he got impaled through the heart with wood and stone or whatever. And, you know, so he was pretty much out of it in Torpor. So <laughs> Sorry. The, oh, that's fine. The, uh, so the Giovanni slowly goes into torpor because of the blood, you know, loss every day. Uh And um, so he thinks he lost all his ghouls because in the the fight, the sheriff like tosses them out with no problem, tosses them out the door um, and and whatnot. But one of his ghouls survives and um, purchases the land where his master fell. He can't get him out. There's too much rubble, whatever. He purchases the land and sells it to the city to, under one condition, it's made into a uh, cemetery, and he builds a mausoleum over the place where his where his uh, uh, sire or not a sire, but his his rignet, rednet, whatever, however you say that word, um, fell. Until one day, he can get him back out and um, and without being hunted. And that's where Colin runs to because there's also a church near there now. So he's running there. The church is closed. He can't go anywhere. So he runs to the um, to the, the cemetery and hides inside the mausoleum. Mm. So the mausoleum being weak, it's two hundred years old. It has not really been upkept. He he the the hunters 
track him down and run in there, collapsing the floor, falling in there, blood's all over the place, waking up at him. <laughs> and that's pretty much where they met up. Yeah. that's. <laughs> so what clan is Colin or does he know yet? He knows now because uh, they had to go through a lot. Like Adam's like, well, do you know like anything that you can do? He's like, well, I know I can hear far. And he's like, well, that doesn't narrow it down. So through <laughs> a lot of trial and error, um, he has deduced that he is more unlikely a Malkavian. Okay. Hmm. So basically he's a caitiff. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, and so we've played probably, I want to say maybe 20 games since then. Wow. Um, wow. Um, so they've done a lot. They've gone to their first Elysium. Uh, they were like, all right, so this is what you're going to tell Lady Anne, the Seneschal. Um, and so he starts giving her this, you know, one line and everybody knows that she has, um, well, maybe not everybody, but for those that don't know, she has, uh, telepathy. Uh, I didn't really change any of the book characters. So anybody that's in the city, the city that's in London by night, I just put their character sheet on a card because i think it's a lot easier than flipping through a book plus i don't yeah. um who does <laughs> like, honestly, 20 dollars. yeah a book is impossible to to find right uh, you can't get it on print on demand good luck finding it at a used bookstore you you bastards with your london by night why is why is it so hard to get london by night it was um, limited yeah yeah oh, i think okay. it's just a limited edition book and um you know it was out of print and um you you can get a PDF copy of it, right? But yeah. it's I not looking. It's not the same. It's not. No. It's definitely not the same. Um. So uh. So in that twenty or so game sessions, could be more, could be a little less, but it's probably around twenty. Um. They have pretty much met every faction that they can so far, and haven't aligned themselves with any of them yet. So I mean, they haven't really made enemies with anybody, but. Their time is ticking because um, Lady Anne wants the wants them to do some stuff, uh, right. and they met the um, Grim Legion, which is the legion, which is a, a the Wraith Legion that if you die a horrible, uh, violent death, you are more than likely um, pushed into that legion. Uh, and they've met. Uh, let's see, they've met the. Pentant Legion, that those are the crazies. So they've met they've met almost everybody, right? They've met the spot. Um and in this so, time, in this time they've only uh had one single character. Yeah. Yeah, one I, single I character. don't know what a game like that's like. That's- <laughs> <laughs> well, my my storyteller style is not to purposely make things difficult for you. It's to make a world that's believable, obviously. You don't want to just live in a fantasy world even though you're playing a fantasy game most likely but you want to make it believable but you're not supposed to be in opposition to your players right yeah at least that's yeah. how i feel right I, yeah I, I i would agree with you i feel like uh you know if you're if you're in the, the the game of storytelling um you know you should be you know working with your characters to make a enjoyable story like <laughs> that's right. to me the point but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know that I've ever played in a game that ran that long with that many game sessions. That's that's pretty crazy. Um, that's that's not even my normal. Normally, I play a game for like six months to a year. So 
that's usually my standard before mm-hmm. I get bored. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing this game. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I got to pee. Would you guys mind if I jumped away for just a minute? No, go for it. This is baby bladder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> any other questions, Rachel, you have about the game? Um, no. So I guess like you, so when we start playing, are you going to want us to like sort of go through the whole process? Like Colin? Okay. All right, cool. Um, do you, do you have characters and, or not characters, uh, clans in mind? Like, do you think this is going to be like a mostly Giovanni game or what makes sense? Like, I guess as a heads up, like what sort of clans would make sense? What maybe, um, homework should I do history wise to kind of prepare for the world? Um, things like that, I guess. Any tips? Maybe watch or read some stuff about Victorian age. Like when I was preparing for this, there's like a a series that the BBC put out and it was like life in the Victorian age. Right. Or I watched stuff like 400 things that could kill a Victorian age person. Like, so I watched all these things about the Victorian age so that I could get into the mindset of designing that world, even though most of it's already designed from the, the London by night book. Right. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to make sure that I had it in my mindset other than just ingesting. I think I, everybody learns stuff differently. And I think I learn things more from listening and watching than I do reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not a big reader. But, um, so I think I definitely learned more watching those, that series than I did, um, uh, reading the entirety of that book, uh, even okay. though I did like twice, I think just to make sure I had, you know, where everything was and, um, you know, all the NPCs and how they think that they are working together or who they're trying to screw over. But so. Oh, no, go ahead. ahead. No, as I say, um, I was going to say like, I'm similar and that I also tend to absorb things better when I'm like watching them or oftentimes I'm, I learn best by doing, but, um, I'm kind of like you in that, like, I mean, I do read, I can read, but I read so much for like my work that when I get to do fun things, I don't want to do as much reading. Um, so I, I found like, you know, like looking at YouTube videos or things like that. It can be super helpful, even like watching documentaries. Um, so yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Are, are there things that like you think would be like YouTube videos? Cause this is kind of to transition a little bit into what, what Nate's going to be doing going forward with 2d10. Um, are there certain things about vampire or other role-playing games that you think would be particularly helpful for new players um, that maybe one don't have access to a book or that maybe do have access to a book. But I mean, like even with V5, like the the new core book, it's so big, right? Like you may not know where to start. And so like, what advice would you give to Nate on like things he could consider for the channel that maybe would be like educational for new gamers, maybe not just a vampire, but other games as well. Uh, maybe <laughs> that's interesting. I hadn't considered that. I, I would say something like, uh, my dogs. Uh, <laughs> what I usually do is I try to create a cheat sheet, maybe a one to five page, like for the Shadowrun game I ran, I'm currently running on Saturdays. Um, I would create, 
a sheet that would help the players get familiar with the rules without having to ever open a book. Mm, right. so obviously, you know, you might not be able to do that um, legally across a, a, a large portion, like to, to hand out or whatever. I don't know exactly what you're going to be doing on that aspect, but like for a table setting, um, definitely I would at least one page on the simplified rules. Uh, you know, this is how you roll. This is your skill check. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe some difficulties, um, just condense the book. And, and I think I do that for every game I may, uh, make a world in or make a mm-hmm. story for, because I think it, it's helpful mm-hmm. it's easier to pull up those things than it is to um, try to crack a book and, and go, okay, well, there's two paragraphs for um, Auspacks, right? So, yeah, all right. Right. Well, you know, what, what paragraph am I, do I need right now so I can keep this game going? Yeah. So, so maybe even like a video of like a how to make your first cheat sheet for a game I, I or something. I think that's like really that's like really great advice for a new GM or a storyteller. It's just like here are some things that you can do to make running your game with your players easier. Um because what both of you are saying and like, you know, especially what you just said, Rachel, one of the hardest things to do is to get a new player who's probably an adult with lots of stuff to do and a life to live, or it's a younger adult who has no attention span. Right. The hardest thing to do is to get them to read that content. So, Mm -hmm. you know, most of the time, like storytellers, game masters, they're the only ones in the room who are going to read anyways, (laughs) you know, except for one or two other people who might, you know, be really into it. But that, at that point, you're kind of like preaching to the converted. Yeah. I think when you're sitting down to build a character, I think for a lot of people, that's the only time they sit and flip through the book and maybe they'll make like, okay, this power is on this page. If I need to use it, I can go to it. So maybe just like, yeah, like for storytellers or for new players, like, you know, Hey, what are the, for any given game, like, you know, what are the most important aspects to learn or what should you focus your attention on like when you're getting started on this game to get a quick background of the lore? Because I think this is true for, for Vampire. It may not be true universally for all role-playing games. It's, it's definitely also true for the um, Star Trek Adventures game. Um, like the first 25% of almost every core book is just like history, lore, background, flavor, which is all great, whether you're a storyteller or a player. But the very first like RPG game book I ever bought, I think, was Second Ed Vampire when I was in high school. And I got through like half of that stuff because it was really cool. And then I just f- flipped straight to the clans. <laughs> and that's where I really learned the lore and where I really got the flavor from the game was just going straight to the clans and reading about the clans. And then once I digested all of that and I kind of learned a little bit more about the rules, I went back and read the lore. It's almost almost feel like you put all that stuff up front and it's almost like it creates a barrier of entry, which from a marketing marketing perspective is stupid. You know, like right. you, you want to put the, 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 the really juicy stuff at the front, like, okay, like the, the, so what's the point stuff at the right. front? Like, you know, you know, uh, what, what clans am I playing? What character types, what, you know, what's a warrior look like? What's a mage, what's a paladin, all this stuff you want to, I think at the front, because that's what, people on the periphery that see role playing games, that's what they see. They see 
you know, because that's what the stereotypes are. That's what they know. Like they've seen stranger things the first season. So that's what they know. So then, but if you give them like 20 or 40 pages of like background and lore, they're going to be like, okay, but when can I actually play this game? That's, that's kind of my, I don't know. I went off a little bit of a tangent there. I think, I think that, uh, like the old school world of darkness stuff, um, you know, before like the fifth edition, they were really in the early days, they were selling that meta plot. Like that's That's how they were making money. There was so much of it and it was constantly changing and constantly updating that like, that was their, that was their sales point Mm -hmm. was that meta plot. So, you know, that, that brings up a whole other question, like how much meta plot is enough to get into a game? And like, where do you go? All right. Like, now we're just drowning people. Right. You know, plot. you know where I think the sweet spot was is if you look at the video game Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, mm-hmm. that's as much as you needed to, to create a character really quickly. You read the back of that box. It walks you through the character creation. And then you've got your unfortunate embrace in the first five minutes of the game. Right. Boom, you're in it. You don't need 50 pages of like, and then in 1822, this person came to America and established themselves as prince of this city, but they were really pissed off about this guy they met back in 1395, who I'm just like, it's like, okay, nerds, like, I want to play a game, you know? That's why I kind of like, I find, you know, the way that Chance is sort of doing things to be very appealing as a storyteller, especially with a new player, because as a new player, you don't have the capacity for all this plot. You don't have the capacity for, for all this like world building meta. Like you go, this is a world it's 1896. You're in London. Let's move forward. Mm -hmm. You know? And at that point you're building their knowledge of the meta plot instead of just being like feature dump. Here you go. Yeah. You well, know. he refuses to read any of the book too. Now that right. he refuses <laughs> not because he doesn't want to read it because he does, but because he wants to continue to learn the lore and the game in game. Right. Oh yeah. That's really fun. Yeah. Um, but to hit on what you guys were saying about, um, you know, how I said that I create a little cheat sheet. Uh, a lot of games are actually doing this now with starter sets. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think more games should do, or, or at least put like a, Hey, you want to play in the next 10 minutes? Read the first 10 pages of this book. It's going to get you started. Here's right. two characters already there. Right? So right. I, think I think more games should do that. Shadowrun did a pretty good job uh, of that. Um, That's, well, Nate's. You know, like Shadowrun, th- that brings me to another point. If, if you're going to build, you know, the sort of like basic outline cheat sheet beginner box, like it, it needs to be not only like good, and consistent with the rules in the book, but like it, it should be, it should be great. It should be something that like a lot of time is spent on mm. and a lot of thought needs to go into it. And, um, I, the one thing I, I had issue with, with the Shadowrun one was like, yeah, it was good. The story was rudimentary and like nonsensical and kind of like half-assed, but like <laughs> then you know, how many times did we go, wait, what are the rules for this? And we had to like look through that and it was just poorly organized and like not a lot of thought was put into it. And it like seemed like it was just pushed out really quick, especially looking at the core book and going, oh, the rules are totally different than what's presented here. And like, 
things were missing. And I think it's important for game designers, game publishers, if you're going to create a beginner box set, if you're going to create like this, hey, here's how you play in 15 minutes scenario, it should be more than just like a half-assed attempt. Uh, I've never done this, but I, I think maybe for another game I will run in the future. Don't have anything planned, but um, what I'll do is I will create it similar to what they're doing with new MMOs that are coming out. So, okay, you're, you're playing, and I'll create a, a, an encounter. So you'll start basically with nothing on your sheet, right? So a mm-hmm. couple stats. And then I'll be like, all right, it's combat. Um, well, you should shoot your gun, right? And they're like, oh, I have a gun. Okay. Um, and then that way they're learning exactly how to play over the course of that first session. Right? Yeah. And it's not too overwhelming because they're not looking at this sheet with a thousand words on it, you know, and, and different designs. And they're like, where do I look? Where's my AC? Whatever, you know? So yeah. mm-hmm. that, that might actually work in a, in a little capacity there. Yeah. I think uh, anything that you can do that really helps the player to engage and want to build a character to want to, you know, learn the rules and learn how the game works. I think all that stuff should be the focus. Like, you know, truthfully as a, you know, like, you know, people in our near forties or over forties, like it's really hard to convince people by plopping down a 300 page book that we're going to start playing a new game. Right. People don't have the capacity to, to like sit down in the basement and do that. And so I think it's important, like, you know, give people something, give them a little treat, something that makes them want to invest more time and energy into it, but not just like, here's your, here's your 500 page alien book. Like now figure right. out how to play. Right. Yeah. 50% yeah. of the games I, oh, sorry. Did you say that? No, 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 please go ahead. I was going to say about 50% of the games I do run, I just pre-make the characters and then they, <laughs> you know, just right. cause it's easier that way. They don't have to right. worry about that aspect. Yeah. And it's also hard too, because even if you can get a group of people together as a group or individually to do a character creation, well, then it's like, okay, well, when do we have time to schedule the first session? And then by the time that rolls around, at least one of those people isn't going to be able to show up. And then the other four aren't going to remember what they wrote down on their sheet. So they have to like relearn everything. (laughs) So yeah, sometimes it is better just to be like, here, I made characters. Let's play. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, I'm looking forward to coming over uh, to your house um, no more and no less than 14 days from now uh, <laughs> and playing some games yeah. person to person. Yeah, it'll be cool to get back and like have some sort of human contact. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Because I, I mean, obviously you're not running any games over the Internet, but I can tell you that's not all it's cracked up to be. Like human contact is significantly better. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me? I'm kind of yeah. 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 yeah nope, nope we can hear you. Yep. <sighs> well, I all right. Well, I uh thank you very much for coming on this podcast. I don't know if I told you before, um, but I'm I'm making some changes to the overall dynamic. Um changing the name. It's now gonna be called 2D10 Podcast. I don't oh. know. I don't know when this episode's gonna come out. I don't know. I don't even know how this episode's gonna sound because we haven't really done any recording in front of the computer in a long time, but, uh, you know, I'm always interested in hearing new stuff, having new co-hosts or co-pilots or whatever you want to call it. So, right. you know, definitely I want you to come back on. Um, I've got a half a dozen lined up. I'm going to bang through. 
Um, so I definitely want to thank you. I appreciate you for coming on. And Rachel, I appreciate you for lending aid and moral support by sitting next to me. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, can I tell Chance our DMV story and you can cut it if you want? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, so would you, Chance, would you like to hear about the, the adventure that was going to the DMV? Did you come out by us or did you go somewhere in the city? No, we went by you, um, which was, I think the best thing we could have done, but also took a very long time for reasons (laughs) that I will get into. Um, so let's just paint the picture here. Uh, I just started a new job. So I'm telling my boss, I'm like, yeah, you know, just moved here, license plates, driver's license. And, you know, I know things are, you know, like no one's probably going to give me a ticket because of COVID, but everything on the internet still says I've got. 30 days till I establish my residency and, you know, the DMV just opened back up and they're only taking people who are first time license holders or have something expired that needs to get renewed. And, and she's like, okay. And I'm like, she's like, yeah, sure. So you're going to go like for an hour to the DMV. And I'm like, well, everything I've read on the internet and everything I've heard from friends, i.e. you and your wife say <laughs> that it's probably going to take hours because of lines and you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, and she's like, well, you might have to like take a half day. And she's like, I mean, if you're going to be gone for an hour or two, it's okay. But if you're going to be gone for most of the day, I mean, you might have to use a vacation day. And I'm like, all right, well, um, you know, I'll, I'll block off my time on my calendar for the morning on Friday and I'll get back as soon as I can. And, you know, hopefully, you know, I won't have to take any vacation hours. And she's like, okay, sounds good. Just, you know, keep me informed, whatever. And, you know, she's pretty cool about it, but also like, I just started this job. I don't want to take advantage. So DMV opens at seven 30 and I'm like, Nate, we got to get up early. We're going to get all of our stuff. We had all of our paperwork ready to go the night before we get online that you know, they've got the, this checklist online to make sure like, if you want, if you need a driver's license, if you need a new title, new registration, whatever you need, these documents, we go through the checklist. We both have everything that we think we need. We get there. Uh, it opens at seven 30. We get there at seven 15 at seven 15 in the morning. Like I would say we are in, we're in line and we are about two football fields away from the actual door. that's that's how far away we are so we were we were uh you know obviously the dmv is kind of like at the front of the the little strip strip mall mall, and the line ends all the way around by the bank yeah so it's it's far and um nate's like okay you get in line i'm gonna go run and get us coffee because that's a thing we're gonna need i'm like (laughs) okay so i get in line while he's gone person who works at the DMVs walked all the way down this line to the very back and he's yelling out. He's telling people like, if you do not need a new driver's license, you will not be seen today. He's like, if your driver's license is not expired, you will not be seen today. And someone's like, mine expires tomorrow. And he's like, you will not be seen today. <laughs> like, <laughs> Your driver's license had to be expired that day or earlier for you to get it. So it's like everybody who's in line is either like from out of state, uh, you know, a teenager needs a brand new license or someone whose driver's license expired that day or earlier. One lady gets out of line and she's all like, like stressed out. She's like, I got to go to Florida tomorrow and they're not going to let me rent a car. (laughs) And like, I was just like, well, I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just trying I get, I was like, my, my, my normal reaction would be to give a sympathetic smile, but I can't do that because I'm wearing a mask. So anyway, (laughs) 
Like the, the, the line's cold of about 30, 40 people when Nate gets there by the time, or before Nate gets there, by the time he gets back with coffee, the line's moved up a little bit. Um, and he gets in line next to me. Same guy comes in. He's like, you know, oh, if you're here and you don't have this done, so a couple people at the very back of the line leave. Then about 40 minutes go by. The line is moving at this point, but we're we're still like nowhere near the entrance. Like we have at least another hour or yeah. more to wait before we even get to the door. And the guy comes up and he hands us a ticket and he said, and it, the ticket says number 88. And I'm like, there's more than 88 people in this line, but okay, I'll go with it. <laughs> and so, and we're all socially distant. So it's like, that's why the line is so long. So anyway, um, everyone had the same idea as us. Like we'll get there first thing in the morning and get in line. Cause this is going to be terrible. So we've got our ticket. Uh, we're standing in line and then a girl comes by and she goes, okay, what are you getting done today? And we tell her like, I need to register the car. I need to retitle the car. Both need new licenses. And she's like, okay, this is the line for licenses. After you get your license, you're going to have to go get in the other line on the other side of the building to oh. get your registration. And I was like, okay, so I'm doing the math in my head and I'm like, okay, it's eight o'clock. I can maybe get home by 11, which means I won't have to take a vacation day. Like, okay, this will be fine. So then she's like, okay, well, what documentation do you have with you to get your license? And so we start pulling out papers or whatever and things like that. And we're, we wanted to get real IDs, which are the IDs that allow you to basically get on an airplane, which I think probably it's going to get pushed back. But by like 2021, if you live in the US, you are going to need like a driver's license that has like a little stamp on it, a star on it to prove that you're a person. Basically, it's like a, a, a national passport yeah, without like a, getting a passport. Uh, yeah, basically, it's designed so that you can get into places that are high security. Yeah. It's meant to be like more of a federal ID. Federal ID rather than just a state ID. So right. we got these back in Indiana like last year, like Nate or whenever. Like Nate got one when he moved to Indiana and I got one last year when I renewed my license. So we already have like these real federal IDs. So we show up with it and we tell the girl, I'm like, we've got this. And she's like, no, 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 no. She's like, you're going to need a birth certificate if you want a real ID. And then we're like, but we already have real IDs from Indiana. And she's like, doesn't matter. Indiana is not in our database. Yeah, you need a birth certificate. We're super focused on this birth certificate. Yeah. So Nate at this point is like, he's like, no, no, no. And he printed off the thing from the DMV website. And was like, see, it just says I need a real ID. And she's like, I'm telling you right now, if you go in there without a birth certificate, they'll give you a driver's license, but it won't be this like federal, uh, federal, like real ID driver's license. And he goes, but I have one from the state that's next door. And they're like, no, it doesn't matter. Our databases don't talk. It doesn't matter that you got one from Indiana. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, this makes no sense, but okay. And then Nate's like pissed. So he's like, he pulls a Karen and he's like, can I talk to your manager? No, no, I actually, I didn't, I didn't pull a Karen. I, I was just like, all right, I'm sorry. I'm I sorry. I didn't ask. I actually didn't ask to see the manager. You're right. You, you're just, right. You didn't. I just like, I was pressing her. No, she had been Karen so many times that week yeah. though. that She's like, let me she just, just get, like, my let me manager. get my manager. Yeah. <laughs> so dude who was handing out tickets comes over and she starts to ask the question. And before she can even finish it, the guy goes, no, they're going to need birth certificates. And this is at what, at what point that Nate like, basically goes into the frenzy and I have to be like, okay, we're leaving. And he wasn't like mad. He wasn't rude, but he started to get like heightened. You know, Nate, 
Like he started to go from like a five to a six. And when Nate gets to a six, it's very quick that Nate gets to 11. So, (laughs) so I was like, all right, let's just go. So we're driving back and I'm super tired because I didn't sleep much the night before. And like, it is only 845. So I'm going to get back in time basically to start the work day pretty close to 930. Uh, because it's like, they're not going to help us because we don't have our birth certificates with us. So I was like, all right, fine. Like, like it's a wash. It sucks. We got up early. It sucks. We drove a half hour to get here, whatever. We get back home. But in that meantime, in the car, Nate like gets to 11 all by himself. And he just kind of has his a, a rage moment. And I'm like, it'll be fine. Everything's in. And I'm like slap happy at this point. Cause I've had like three hours of sleep and I'm like, it's all good. Like you don't got to be stressed out. And he's just like, bro. So <laughs> then we get home, we work. I was so mad. He was so mad. Like, I don't think I've ever, I've only seen you that mad one time. Um, before and it was also because of like bureaucratic bullshit but anyway um i don't, I don't do well with forms you don't work well inside of systems that no, don't make sense no. um so anyway long story short we get home i work for a few hours i have a meeting with my boss and she's like i'm taking the afternoon off and i was like sweet so as soon as like she's gone i'm like i'm out of here i'm like do you want to go back to the dmv with me i was like because i don't want to have to try and do this again next week like i just want to get this over with i have my birth certificate in hand i know i have everything i need i was like do you want to go with me and he's like okay so we get back to the DMV at like 2.30 in the afternoon. By this time, the line is significantly shorter. Like that was the time of day to go was in the late afternoon. It is, the line is a third of what it was first yeah. thing in the morning. Everybody and thought then, we should go at the same time. Yeah. I guess yeah. so. Everybody's like, oh, we got to get there super early in the morning. No, go at 2.30. Yeah, go at 2.30. So then a guy, different guy comes up and he's like, hey, what are you doing? What are all your documents? And we tell him, we show him everything. He's like, cool, you well, got- Also, plus now we actually brought our birth certificates. Yeah, we brought our birth certificates. <laughs> um, even though like the website said we didn't. And then like I was like, either their website is wrong or everybody at this license branch doesn't know the rules. And I was like, it doesn't matter which of those is true because so, I can so do nothing I would to like, change it. I would like to defend myself just, just a little bit Go for to, it. to yeah. explain. So we, we took the time to prepare. And this is why I was so fucking enraged. <laughs> we took the time to prepare. We had a checklist off of their website, right? We went through and everything that we were supposed to have, we checked off. We had our real ID. That was issued pursuant to whatever, blah, blah, blah. We had all of the other paperwork and I printed out the checklist and I brought it with, right? And so this manager comes up, this is before we left, and he's like, no, no, you need a birth certificate. I'm like, I hear what you're saying, but this checklist, this is off of your state website. And this right here says, I need this or I need a birth certificate. And I have this real ID that was issued to me. And the guy wouldn't even look like he wouldn't even look at the sheet, wouldn't even listen to what I was having to say. And he's just going, no, 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 you need a birth certificate without a birth certificate. You can't get this blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, dude, just look at the checklist. (laughs) Look at the license I have. And he's like, no, 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 no. Indiana's got their own database. That's not us. And I'm like, it's, that's not how it works, bro. <laughs> like I've got the license here with the little star that shows it's a real ID. I've already gone through all this and I've already been licensed in this state. So I already have a driver's license number 
in this state. And he was just like, well, no, you know, they're not going to give that to you. They're not going to do it. And I was like, Ugh. so yeah. I was just like, let's leave. <laughs> no, no. I was like, let's leave. Yeah. You were like all set to dig it in and be like, but I'm here. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, when we finally, we're trip two, it takes about two hours to do everything we need to do. I would say, so, so the guy, the guy was like a different guy was like, Hey, do you need him to register the car? Is it also in his name? I was like, no, the car's only in my name. And he's like, perfect, go register your car and get your new title. And by the, before you're done, it, like he won't even be in the building. And he was right. Like I did all of that registering the car and retitling it before Nate ever got to the front of the line to get his driver's license. So I would say from start to finish that second trip, we were there for two hours. Yeah. It was two hours of standing in line and oh my God, it was like, you had you get in the line to get in the line. And then after you got through that line, you had to like, there was like a scary gatekeeper lady who like yelled at some guy and had him kicked out because his phone was too loud when he was waiting in line. So once you made it past her, then you had to get another line to get your picture taken. And then after you got out of the picture line, you had to go like in like basically the Thunderdome waiting area where it's not really clear where you stand, (laughs) but you have a number and you can't tell like, when your number is going to be called because there's numbers that start with letters and there's different letters and there's X's and Z's and A's and B's. And you're like, okay, like I'm X524, but they're calling A75. So maybe, oh, wait, no, they just called an X. So you're trying to like do like weird calculus in your head of like when <laughs> you are going to be called. And then, so like, then you like, they call your number and it's like, you're one of the chosen ones. So you get to go up to that line and then they, you give them more paperwork and they ask you more questions. My favorite of which was, have I been committed to a psychiatric institute in the last three years? Three apparently is the magic number. Had it been four years ago? Like they don't give a shit, but if it was three years ago, you're, you can't get a driver's license, whatever. So then like you get out of that line, you're like, yeah, now I can get my driver's license. Nope. There's still three more lines, bitches. (laughs) So then you got to get out of that line to go get into the cashier line. You wait in the cashier line, you pay the cashier. Now I get my driver's license. Nope. Then you get into the document pickup line. You get that. Then like you like, you know, answer three questions. There's a troll, some magic beans. And then you finally get like a copy of your driver's license, paper copy that your, you know, your hard copy will be mailed to you at a later time. That's pretty standard these days. But I was just like, after the, by the time I got done, I was like, I want to go home. (laughs) I want to take a shower and I want to eat ice cream for dinner. (laughs) And that's what I did. (laughs) This was Friday, right? This was Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Hot Friday. Oh, it's fucking hot. And also, uh, my ass as a side note. So like I usually wear jeans, uh, wasn't thinking I didn't put on shorts. Uh, so I was wearing jeans. Now you might say like, Oh, that sucks. Like your legs and maybe your crotchal area was a little warm. It was, but also fun fact about me is right now I have like a fun little, um, uh, virus that I picked up from jujitsu, uh, that's on my arms. It's called molluscum contagiosum. It's not a big deal. It's really not that contagious as long as I keep it covered up and it doesn't hurt. It doesn't look bad. It's just annoying. And so I have basically habitually been wearing long sleeve shirts since September of last year, just to make sure I don't accidentally spread it to like anywhere on my face or anywhere else in my body or give it to Nate or something like that. So my dumb ass is standing out there in the 90 degree heat wearing black jeans and a long sleeve shirt because <laughs> I'm not good with weather and planning apparently. Um, and it didn't occur to me to be like, Hey, maybe just wear a short sleeve shirt and just be careful that you don't like rub your face on your forearm, whatever. So yeah, it was, a. Uh, it, it was a day. Yeah, the, it, the redundancy in the DMV was flabbergasting. Mm-hmm. Like, 
it's there's literally five different lines. Yeah. But the funniest thing was, was the first like gatekeeper lady you got in line and you basically told her what you were there for and all the paperwork you had. You've probably already done this three times before while you were waiting outside in the line. And then she was like, okay, go through. And then, like she was like the old, like, have you seen Monsters, Inc.? Yep. Yeah, like, I know you, what you're talking about. You, you know, the old lady who checks your paperwork. Wazowski, <laughs> you didn't fill out your paperwork. So she's like, what have you got? And then there's like a dude in the corner on his phone. And she's like, sir, sir. And she, he, she, he can't hear her because like, even he's though not she, he's not paying attention and she's really not that loud. And she's like, sir, pardon me, sir. And I like, she lets me through the line. And then she's like, sir, <laughs> sir. And then she, he's, he like turns around. And she's like, "Would you turn the volume of your phone down? It's very loud." And then she like looks over, and he like doesn't pay any attention. And she like looks over, makes eye contact with the security guard, <laughs> yeah. and the security guard's like, "All right, buddy, come on, let's go." And just hit flat, fucking come kicks on, him come out. On, come on, go. get up, come get on. up. You gotta go. And then you know she's like, "Next, please." Nathan steps up, and I was like, "God, go with you." I don't know how many times I was asked, "Have you ever been a licensed driver in this state?" And I was like, "Yes, again." I have been. It didn't seem like that made things any easier for you. In no. fact, I finished earlier. Yeah. 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 You, you finished before me with less time. And what was profoundly baffling to me was I, the first person asked me, I said, yes. Why did she ask me if I had to tell every other person that I saw the same affirmation? Like, yeah. yes, I have. Can we move on? Is this helping me any? No. Why do I need to tell everybody? Why can't I tell one person and then the other person with the computer in front of them knows when they pull up my file? No. Yeah. It was it was beautiful. It was but fantastic. I have to say they were doing a remarkably good job mm-hmm. under the conditions that they were yeah, working yeah, yeah. in. It was a shitty experience for everybody, but probably mostly for the employees. Because although we only had to be there for two hours, they had to be there all <laughs> yeah. day. The the first yeah. lady, she, Rachel goes, Hey, how are you? Um, hope your day's going well. And the lady's like, just like every other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then like the guy, she's like, just like every other day. The guy in front of me in line, I overheard him ask her. He's like, oh, today real busy. And she's like, yeah. And then he goes, he goes, oh, is, is it really bad because it's Friday? And she's like, no, every day's the same. They're all like this. <laughs> She was just like, I mean, she was Wazowski. You didn't fill out your paperwork through and through. Uh, It was, I'm just so glad. Like we went for a walk earlier to the park and back and like we were walking past our car. It's parked in the street. And I was just like, I'm so glad we were done at the DMV on Friday. Like I am so glad I didn't have to go back there today. So anyway, that's our DMV story. It was as bad as, as you can imagine. That sounds terrible. (laughs) <laughs> it was not fun. It was not fun. But like I got ice cream for dinner because that was like my reward. I was like, I have to do this. And now yeah. I get ice cream for dinner. Sometimes you have to reward yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thanks, Chance, for joining us. And uh, we're going to wrap it up here. And thank you all for listening. Talk all to right. you later. Thanks for listening to the 2D10 podcast. If you liked what you heard, check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out our YouTube channel, T-W-O, the letter D-T-E-N. Don't forget to spell it, you dub-dub. If you want to support us more, go to our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode. (laughs) Don't judge me.